The Bible tells us that the streets of heaven will be paved with gold. Now, I don't think that's a metaphor. I think that's literal. God wants us to know that heaven is going to be a place of beauty, but it's going to be a place where we value gold differently than we do in this world. Think about that. Gold in heaven will not be something that we accumulate and spend. Gold will be something that we walk on. The values in heaven will be inverted. And there's an old joke based on these inverted values about the kingdom of heaven, and the joke goes like this. There's a man who spends his life accumulating wealth, and he's determined to take it with him to heaven. So when he dies, he arrives at the pearly gates with a trunk that's stuffed with gold. He just knows Peter's going to be very impressed. So they meet, and Peter says, what's in the trunk? And the man opens it and says, look at this. And Peter looks and says, pavement? You brought pavement? A A silly story, but it makes, I think, a profound point. You see, that man's prized possession had nothing of eternal value. He put his trust in the wrong things because his values did not line up with the values of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just something in the future. The kingdom of God is and can be here and now. We need to remember that when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, I want you to pray, Heavenly Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to start embracing kingdom values here and now. And this is true in every area of life, and it's particularly true when it comes to the accumulation of valuable assets. And we need to acknowledge that it's incredibly easy for us to place the wrong value on money and possessions because we live in a consumer-driven society. And our culture sends a continual, powerful message. We are told overtly and covertly that money and possessions are the key to happiness. And if we're unhappy, then we just need a little bit more. And the more we get, the more secure we'll feel. The more powerful we'll feel. The more in control we'll feel. And that's not how Jesus wants us to think. Because that view of wealth does not line up with the values of the kingdom of God. And so to help people view wealth from a different perspective, Jesus does what he often does, and he tells a parable. He tells a story about a rich man who believes that he is in control of his life simply because he's financially successful. That's what we're going to hear this morning. That's the truth that Jesus wants you and I to wrestle with. Let's listen now to the words of Jesus recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an orbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him this parable. 
The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get you what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich to reward God. Now, if you were listening, you noticed that Jesus told the parable in response to a request from a man in the crowd. And actually, it wasn't a request, it was a demand. (laughs) The man demanded that Jesus resolve a dispute about his inheritance. And that may strike us as odd, so, so before we dive into the parable, we need to understand why this man would ask Jesus, who's a teacher of spiritual truth, why would he ask Jesus to resolve a legal matter? I mean, maybe it seems kind of weird to you. No one would ever ask me to solve their legal problems. I, I'm a minister, I'm not a lawyer. And yet back in the first century, rabbis and other religious leaders were routinely asked to address and resolve legal disputes. And that's because of the nature of the law that God gave to the Jewish people. It was comprehensive. It covered every area of life. And so there were religious laws, moral laws, civic laws, and judicial laws. By studying the scriptures, religious leaders became knowledgeable in every aspect of God's law. And as a result, teachers like Jesus often were asked to help settle legal disputes. So this request from the man in the crowd is really not unusual. And and furthermore, we need to understand that his demand seems to be based on a legitimate need. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And based on that comment, the logical conclusion is that the father in that family has died, the older brother has assumed control of the assets, and he's not sharing them with his brother as he is supposed to do. And so this man standing before Jesus just wants what's rightfully his. He just wants his fair share. But here's what's really interesting in response to this normal, natural question. Jesus does not talk about the inheritance, but instead he talks about the problem of greed. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, now I doubt this man thinks that he's greedy. I think he probably just believes that, hey, I'm entitled to this. It's my legal right. And yet Jesus' words are very direct. In fact, they're even confrontational. And this becomes more clear when we read it in the original Greek text rather than in our English translation. The words for watch out and be on guard are very strong. They convey the idea that we must actively defend ourselves against an enemy called greed. Because greed is insidious and greed is aggressive. And if we don't protect ourselves, greed can conquer us very strong statement. But why would Jesus caution this man about greed simply for wanting to obtain his legal inheritance? 
it's because by asking about this issue at this time, he demonstrates that his priorities are out of balance. You see, just prior to this, Jesus has been teaching the crowd some very important spiritual principles. He wants people to trust him and not the teaching of the Pharisees. He wants people to be willing to make a commitment to follow him and to publicly acknowledge that commitment. And he wants people to be aware that many decisions in this life have significant consequences for the next life. None of this has anything to do with personal finances. And yet the minute Jesus stops and takes a break and draws a breath, this man hollers out, hey, solve my inheritance problems for me. It's a pretty good bet that this man has actually not been listening very closely to Jesus. And he takes the first opportunity to interrupt and address his personal agenda. Do you ever do that? I'm sorry to say I've done that a lot. Somebody's talking with me and I'm not listening. I'm just waiting for them to pause and draw a breath and then I speak because what I have to say, my agenda is so incredibly important. And I've done that to people and you've done that to people. We've done that to each other. I find myself wondering how often we might do that with God. I sit down to pray and to read my Bible and I make it all about me and my agenda and my wish list. I'll bet you do too. And I've tried to break that pattern in my life by approaching God differently. And so as I read my Bible and as I pray, yes, I pray about my needs, but as part of my prayer, I say something like this, Heavenly Father, what's on your agenda? Heavenly Father, what do you have for me today? And when I pray like that, and then I get up from my time of prayer and I go out into my day with a sense of expectation, I'm far more likely to see what God is actually doing in my life and in his world. But it requires an attitude adjustment. It requires a change in perspective. And unfortunately, this man standing before Jesus is much more interested in his own priorities than in what Jesus has to teach. He's completely absorbed by this question of his inheritance, so Jesus perceives that he's materialistic and in danger of becoming greedy. And Jesus sees that he has a greater need than taking possession of the money that's legally his. There's a greater spiritual need. So Jesus doesn't address the man's issue. And instead, he turns this into a teaching moment for the entire crowd. And he tells that parable that we just heard, which is all about the problem of greed. And greed is a major problem because it causes us to pursue the acquisition of money and possessions as a high priority in life, much higher than it should be. And if we're successful and we do get stuff, oh, then we feel secure. Then we feel in control. And we feel secure and in control, not because we're trusting God, but because we're trusting our assets. That's the situation Jesus describes in the parable. This rich man thinks, I'm set. 
I'm set because I've got a huge storehouse of grain. And for him, that grain represents income and security. He's planning how he's going to be comfortable because he's in control. The reality, though, is that God is in control. And so at the end of this parable, Jesus highlights the fact that this man's sense of security is just an illusion. Look what Jesus says here in 19 and 20. The man says, I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? What a sharp contrast between this man's sense of control and the reality that God actually is in control. And we need to remember that virtually every parable Jesus tells has a shock factor. And verse 20 is where the shock factor would kick in with his audience. And that's because most people listening to Jesus would actually see the rich man as a role model. In their view, he's especially blessed by God precisely because he has so much money and stuff. Material abundance equals God's blessing in their view. They want to be just like him. And Jesus shoots a hole in that with his comment in verse 20. I, I was thinking about this part of the, the parable earlier this week, and, and I was reminded of a scene from the classic movie Fiddler on the Roof. And this scene helps us to understand, I think, how the people listening to Jesus felt about wealth. The central character in that movie is a man named Tevya, and he is a poor, faithful Jew. He lives in a poor rural village, and he scrapes out a living as a dairy farmer. And he lives on the edge financially, and he often expresses his desire to be rich. He would look at this rich man in the parable and say, oh, that's who I want to be someday. And Tevye often talks about this with his friends, and in this one memorable scene, he, his friend tries to warn him against that kind of attitude. And he says, Tevye, money is the world's curse. And Tevya says, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. And I love that scene because it's an honest description about how we as people so often react. I think we can understand it. And in Tevya's view, and, and, and most likely in ours, whatever problems money might bring, we think they're infinitely better than the problems related to poverty. And it's true that if we can have enough money to get by, to meet our needs, life's a lot easier. But Jesus is making a profound point here for everyone in that audience. Whether we have a lot, like the rich man, whether we have little, like most of the people listening to Jesus, he wants us to know that it's not healthy to make the acquisition of money and possessions a major focus of life. There's far more important things in this world. And whatever we do have, we should learn to be thankful for and grateful for and generous with. 
That's the problem with the rich man in the parable. All he can focus on is himself. We see that in the way he describes his situation. His language is full of I, me, my, myself. And I find this particularly ironic because his wealth comes from crops. And crops largely depend on the weather. No matter how well you cultivate the ground, if you don't get some rain at the right time and some sunshine at the right time, you're not going to get much of a crop. Farmers depend on the weather, which means they depend on God. And yet this rich man never thanks God as the provider of this bountiful harvest. Instead, he's proud. In fact, he's even arrogant about his success and the comfort that he alone will enjoy because of his success. And the tragedy is that it never occurs to him to think about sharing any of his abundance with others who might be in need. He doesn't want to share because he's greedy. The ancient Romans had a vivid proverb about money. They said, money is like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. I think this man in the parable is very, very thirsty. And he doesn't see it. His affluence fills him with pride and causes him to act as if he's in control, but he's not. And we have to come to grips with the fact that none of us are in control completely of our own lives. I can be fastidious about my diet, and I can eat nothing but healthy foods, and I still could die from a terminal illness. I can avoid all kinds of risk-taking activities, and I can be injured or killed in an accident. That's the reality. Control is an illusion. And when we place our security in our material assets, it becomes so easy to succumb to that illusion because money makes us feel in control. But we're not. And that's the point of the parable. The rich man doesn't know that he's going to die suddenly. He's helpless to prevent his death. And he's done nothing to plan for that event. And that's why Jesus does not want our possessions or our lack of possessions to consume us. He doesn't want that to be the driving force of our life. There are far more important things in life than accumulating stuff. And so after telling this parable and after shocking his audience so they understand that the rich man isn't a role model, then he offers a pointed warning in verse 21. It's a warning, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation for everyone who wants to follow Jesus to make an attitude adjustment and to acknowledge that God is the one who truly is in control. And so Jesus wraps up in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, as Jesus warns us about this rich man's behavior, we need to be clear as to what he's actually criticizing. He's not saying that it's wrong to save. The Bible actually has a lot to say about the importance of planning for the future. 
To cite just one example, Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, to simply consume all that we have and not set something aside for the future is foolish. And it occurs to me, by the way, that that's an area where we're a lot different from the man in the parable. Because we don't save. We consume. I got a vivid example of this just the other day. When I, when I moved here in 2010, we were still in the midst of a recession. And when I would drive by the Gateway Mall over here, the parking lot was rarely full of cars because people didn't have a lot of excess money. We're out of the recession now. The economy's doing much better. And guess what? Almost every time I drive by that parking lot, particularly on weekends, it's full. It's full of cars because more people have more money, and when we have more money, what do we do? We spend it. We shop. We dine out. We recreate. We consume because that's the American way of life. Now, is it wrong to spend our money? Of course not. But to God, spending all we have is just as foolish as hoarding our money for ourselves, which is the problem with the rich man in the parable. There are all kinds of ways for you and I to be greedy with what God gives us. Now, I'll be the first to admit that learning to manage our finances wisely and biblically is not always easy to figure out. In fact, when we take into consideration all that the Bible says about money and possessions, it becomes clear that we've got some some different issues to wrestle with because on the one hand, the Bible says, plan prudently for the future. And on the other hand, the Bible says, live by faith, take holy risks give away. There's a tension in that. And we each need to figure out the balance between prudent planning and living by faith. And the reality is that for each of us, there are times to save, there are times to invest, there are times to spend, and there are times to give away generously and even sacrificially. And there's not one clear-cut answer that applies to every situation. And therefore, this issue boils down to control. Are we fighting for control? Or can we open up our hands and say, Father, you're in control. Show me what to do. And I think that's the core problem for the rich man in the parable. It's all about his control, not God's control. And Jesus warns his audience because he doesn't want them to emulate the rich man. He doesn't want them to make that same mistake. He's inviting people here to make a major attitude adjustment. He wants men and women to be rich toward God. Rich toward God. That means we trust God to show us how to manage our assets. We let him show us when to save, and when to lavishly, maybe even foolishly, give stuff away. We understand that God gives us money and possessions to meet our needs, but we also use what we have to touch the lives of others. And I think the only way to truly be rich toward God is to recognize that He's in control 
and we're not. And God wants each of us to acknowledge that truth and wrestle with it and figure out how it applies in our own individual lives. And sadly, some people have to be confronted with their own mortality before they get it, before they deal with it. That's what happened to the rich man in the parable. He was confronted with death. And for him, by that time, it was too late. Jesus doesn't want us to wait that long. He wants us to deal with it now. As I think about this man in the parable and his circumstances, I'm, I'm reminded of a guy that I knew at our last church, a man named Jerry. Jerry had grown up with tremendous poverty. And by incredibly hard work, he managed to build a small but very successful business. And I really admired him for his work ethic and his business acumen. But unfortunately, along the way, accumulating money became the main focus of his life. And as I watched Jerry, he started to become a lot like this rich man in the parable. Jesus describes here a man who keep, wants to keep building bigger and bigger barns. Jerry just kept building bigger and bigger and more expensive houses for himself and his family. He kept buying newer and newer, more expensive cars. And the more money that he made and the more stuff that he accumulated, the more powerful he felt. And he began to live as if he was truly in control of the events of his life. And he lived and believed and acted as if money could solve any problem. Problems with a car or something around the house? Buy a new one. Problems at work with employees? Pay them off. Problems with too much stress? Just take a lavish, luxurious vacation. Every problem could be solved by money. Jerry was confident. Jerry was arrogant. Jerry was secure and in control because he had money. His wife, Anna, was increasingly concerned about him because she saw that Jerry was increasingly placing more trust in his stuff than in God. And she prayed for him daily, praying diligently for Jerry to let go of his need to control things with his money and to simply learn once again to trust God. God answered that prayer in a very dramatic way. Anna got sick. Very sick. Sick with a rare and untreatable illness. And Jerry was desperate. He didn't want to lose his wife. He loved his wife. He said to the doctors, I'll fly in specialists. I'll pay whatever's available to get her the best possible treatment at the best possible hospital in the world. Just tell me what I have to do. Whatever it takes, I'll pay. And the doctor said, Jerry, it's not a question of money. We simply don't have available treatments. Now, Anna, Anna was a, a remarkable woman of faith. And she obviously didn't enjoy what was happening to her. But she was able to see the hand of God in their circumstances. And she saw that God actually was answering her prayer. I sat down with her at one point to visit with her, and she spoke very little about herself and mostly about Jerry and about how this situation was changing Jerry. She said, this is one of the best things that's ever happened to my husband because he can't control it. He can't solve this problem with money. 
He can't rely on anyone or anything but God. Now, this whole story is very long and detailed, but, but God used Anna's illness to help Jerry make a major attitude adjustment. It was that confrontation with mortality that finally woke Jerry up and got his attention. And, and God ultimately healed Anna physically. He restored her to health. And he healed Jerry spiritually. Jerry started learning to trust God more than his money. He started to live with some humility. He started to manage his money for the kingdom of God rather than trying to use it to achieve a false sense of security. Jerry stopped fighting for control. He opened up his hands and he surrendered control to God. That's why Jesus tells this parable. And there's something here for everyone. Jesus is inviting each of us to embrace the values of God's kingdom in this life to help prepare us for the next life. And so we each need to consider how to respond. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I believe there's an invitation to take an initial step of faith and get started. Let Jesus take away the sin and the guilt and the pain of your past. Acknowledge that he is in control because you really can't control your life and you need a loving God to give you direction. Let Jesus give you a fresh start because eternity is coming and it does matter. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I believe he's inviting each of us to consider how we can take a next step. How we can let go of our need for control. He's inviting us to trust God with our money and our possessions. And I think he's saying, don't wait like the rich man did. Don't wait until you're confronted with the reality of death before you decide to put this area of life in order. Now, it may be that as we worked our way through this passage, you have some questions. If you do have questions about any of this, I hope that you'll come see me after the service. You can usually find me out in the lobby, and I'd be happy to talk to you. It may be that God's Spirit is speaking to you through this and helping you realize that you've got a control issue, and you're fighting with God over control. And if so, I want to encourage you to make your way over to the prayer corner. Tim's over there, one of our elders, and he would be happy to pray with you so that you can surrender control to God and truly be free. Because only with Jesus guiding us can we be free. We boil all this down to the bottom line. God's in control, and we're not. That's the truth. The question is, How does God want you and how does God want me to respond?